All right, what's going on, everyone? Um, we're going to talk about a current event today. We don't do a lot of that, we tend to focus a little bit more on history, but there's kind of some unique event going on right now that a lot of people are talking about. It's the, um, I'll say the issue in Afghanistan, the withdrawal in Afghanistan, the, the falling of Afghanistan. I don't know that we have a good term for it quite yet, but uh, a couple of buddies, John Wagner, Connor McNamara on here suggested we talk about it. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet um, as a group. I haven't really talked much about it with anybody at all. Still kind of forming thoughts, but we thought this would be fun. So Connor, John, Thanks for jumping on, guys. Thanks for having us. Um, as a quick refresher, I'll, uh, I'll introduce you guys, because I think you'll probably be too humble and won't, won't give the full story. But Connor, John, and I went to West Point together, graduated together in 2009, um, all been commissioned into the Army, and all went to Afghanistan at various times between 2010 and 2012, uh, all left active duty at the same time. And uh, now Connor and John are out there being professionals, as John told us earlier tonight, with professional headphones. But uh, it's, it's, it was a big part of our life, whether it was, uh, you know, no matter how long or, or when somebody was there deploying and going to a war zone and, and I don't know, has a big impact. So I think the news the last couple of days has been interesting to watch, but yeah. What do you guys think? Any, any first reactions first thoughts uh man no there's there's been so many thoughts kind of like you mentioned uh preston and it, it, just a little bit more about at least my perspective you know it i had two deployments and the first one i was a platoon leader and a fire support officer um the second one was an advisor uh, as a platoon leader, we worked shoulder to shoulder with the Afghan army. And as an advisor, it was kind of a, mostly an individual role working directly with, uh, the Afghan army, uh, commander and members of their team on, you know, how to train and how to, how to become more effective as an organization. Uh, so I think that, that, that makes it more difficult with so much time spent training, it's hard to comprehend how that army just gave up entirely. And, and I've been trying to reach, reach out to some of those guys that I'm still in touch with to see if they're one alive and two, what happened? Uh, so I'll stop there to, to let Connor speak some, some initial thoughts. Let me add a little, um, note here that'll be beneficial down the road it's we're recording the evening of august 16th um and this is one of those things where every hour there's more news that comes out so um we might find out eventually what happened to the army and to the police and all that but as of the evening of august 16th there's still a lot of questions so let's see connor what you got man no i mean my perspective is similar slightly different that I, I I was not there as an advisor um, but in my deployment I mean it was every almost every patrol was a partner patrol and the whole point was that they were you know they were sitting on our briefings they were mirroring us on the patrol we were doing our after action reviews with uh, whether it was the national police or the Afghan army forces or whoever it was that we happened to be partnered with um, the unit would rotate constantly. We were not, it, we, we rarely had one small set of guys that were with us all the time. It was, it was a rotating group of all from a larger unit. Um, but in that sense, I mean, we certainly trained in, in being on the patrols together all the time and discussing it afterwards. And I, my thoughts largely near John's. I mean, I just, I was expecting there to be a lot of struggle, maybe even civil war areas that would fall and either stay in Taliban control or have to be retaken down the line by the Afghan government. I mean, that to me was very conceivable. The, the speed at which it happened 
in at least the reports coming out of the country on entire units just literally handing their weapons over and leaving i just i just couldn't have conceived of that and and that was the shot the most shocking aspect to me was the the speed i agree connor that's kind of where i would have sat for a long time the idea that i don't i'll be interested to hear what you guys think but i don't remember a single time that i was there thinking these guys have it like if we left today they've got it they can run with this um but I did think it would end up being, yeah, maybe entire provinces fall to the Taliban, but it's kind of a power share type thing because the police, the military are strong enough and have enough capacity to at least keep them in check a little bit. But yeah, I guess I don't know yet. There's definitely entire units that have just completely, I don't know, surrendered or abandoned. Um, it's, it's Honestly, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's happening. You just kind of blink and all of a sudden they're in Kabul. Right. And the other thing is this, this has been going on for years. I mean, I, I heard a couple of years ago through some connections that the area that my platoon was responsible for and helped develop relations with the locals and train the Afghan army, it, that was taken over by the Taliban years ago. Uh, so it's far enough outside of the Kandahar that, no one really cared. It wasn't really newsworthy, but it like that affected me back then because I knew how much work we had put into developing that area. And I was really proud to hand it off to the next unit with the intent that they were going to hand it off to the Afghans with the intent that it was going to maintain peace. And those, those villages were going to, you know, look back at the time that we were there and think, wow, that's when things turned around for us. And to know a couple of, you know, within 10 years of leaving the country that that dream that I had for that area is just gone and the Taliban already took it. That was, that was a hard pill to swallow a couple of years ago, but I never thought that the whole country would fall as soon as America left, you know, the remaining few thousand troops. Um, this was just, it's just so hard to stomach. And honestly, the short answer to the question is that I'm, I'm furious. I can't, I'm just so angry that the Afghan army couldn't even stand up for themselves. And like the president just fled. And to my knowledge, he hasn't really spoken to anyone uh, about why uh, the president of, of Afghanistan is what I'm talking about. He hasn't really spoken to us about like why he just is handing over the country to the Taliban. I mean, what do we do for 20 years if they're just going to completely give up on it as soon as, America says that we're done. I don't understand. Does it, something that comes to mind for me is maybe, so the way I try to look at, maybe for peace of mind, to to look at our actions, the U.S. actions in Afghanistan was the idea, again, so I tell myself, that we were trying to provide the Afghan people with an opportunity to choose their future. Um, for a long for a long time, it was being dictated to them by foreign powers, and then by a strong hand um, as the Taliban took over in the early '90s, or yeah, early to mid '90s up through 2001. I always kind of thought the U.S. job was to make Afghanistan secure enough to where they could choose which direction they wanted to go, and I kind of thought maybe the Taliban would have a a part in that, right? Maybe they'll have a seat at the table, if you will. Um, but with that mindset, it kind of makes me look at what happened the last few weeks and say, they did choose, right? I mean, they, whether it was 51% or 94%, you can't take over that entire country in two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. I mean, to your point, John, they definitely had some territory before this, but the, the U.S. didn't do this when we went in there in 2001. And that was a shockingly quick victory. The Taliban retook the country faster than the U.S. knocked them out in 2001, which was insanely fast. So maybe they did choose. Maybe the majority of the people are choosing the Taliban. I mean, that's something that that I've been thinking about a lot, uh, Preston, is it's easy. It's easy to look at this and view the Taliban as 
and an outside an outside force. But I mean, that's obviously not the case. I mean, sure, they recruit from elsewhere, but I, I don't. You're actually you're much better at this than I am with with the history of the region. But I, I believe the Taliban formed in like '94 or something in southern Afghanistan, and it was formed by old Mujahideen forces. They were tired of the civil unrest, the looting, the lack of security that followed the forced Russian exit. So in some degree, the Taliban has always been of Afghanistan. It's obviously a more um, extreme interpretation of Islam that is followed by only some portion of the population, but it was never a foreign force coming in. It It was built in Afghanistan. They generally recruit from Afghanistan. And when we were there, it was so, even back in 2011, 12, it was so pervasive. You could be talking to your interpreters. You could be talking to village elders or just friendly people you met on the road. Everyone, not just new people in the Taliban. I mean, they had family members, friends, brothers that were in the Taliban that they would openly discuss with you. Um, and so for me, this was, it was almost like I forgot that, I guess. And then this happened and it was just this huge slap in the face. that was almost a reminder of like, wait a minute. They were, they were always there. They were always developed there and apparently were far more ingrained than I certainly gave them credit for after, you know, after my deployment. And this just made that so apparent to me it was almost like I had just I guess forgot it or or discounted it I don't know but um I think your point you know again I don't know how choose how many you know, what is choice when there's the security situation or the economic situation that you're faced with I don't know how much of a, a choice it is but in some way shape or form I mean yeah the, the Taliban rose in Afghanistan and to some extent were selected again by enough of the people where it made a difference or at yeah, least well, leadership. I think it's a good point to, to say that the Taliban never left um, and they just kind of went into hiding in different degrees and they've always been there. They're, it, it, I do want to clarify that yes, they're sort of organic to Afghanistan, but they're also terrible. And they also when they were in charge in the nineties, they were stoning people to death. They were instituting some awful policies. They are some of the worst people on the, on the planet. Right. Um, So that the story of them coming from Afghanistan is true, but they, that does not mean that the people would rather them be in charge because for the most part, they were very awful. Um, but I think that their strategy has worked over the past 20 years because they, they never left and they always made sure that the locals were scared of them. So as it became apparent that there was no foreign support, the locals knew because the Taliban had probably been telling them secretly through their different methods that, hey, we're back in charge. Don't, don't listen to this nonsense about an Afghan army or Afghan police. They're just, they're corrupt. They're trying to just get get money from the Americans or whatnot. We're the ones in charge. So when when that spread and then when there was a date set, no one really questioned it. They were just in charge. And I think that's what the failure on our part must be that we didn't realize that that was happening. Uh, but it's it, it doesn't make it any easier to to realize that it just happened. I got a couple thoughts. See which which direction you guys want to go. Is it a little more about the Taliban or more about our, our maybe failure to recognize it. What do you mean? It is I've got kind of diverging thoughts to take the conversation in different directions. Um, I'll stick with the Taliban for a second. Um, John spot on some of this stuff. I think we've forgotten. Um, there are people uh, in college today that uh, have never been alive when the Taliban were in power. Um, it's easy to, the, the pictures weren't, there, there wasn't social media really at the time 
to highlight some of the things that were happening. But some of the stuff you saw with ISIS that was making it onto Twitter and YouTube and, and things that were having to be taken down, they're so graphic, was, was a part of life under the Taliban. Um, they, they were pretty brutal when they came to power. They rose through, um, they were the strong man of, of a country full of strong men. And they, it was pretty nasty stuff to be, it was, it was medieval type stuff, right? I wonder if we're going to see something different though. at the risk of sounding like an apologist here. That if they go back to that in two weeks and start executing everybody that associated with coalition forces, it's going to invite the international community to step back in. They don't want anybody else there. They want to control Afghanistan. There's been some rumors that they've said things along the lines of um, you're safe in Kabul. We're not out to, for revenge. We're here to, to rule the country. And I think it'll be interesting to see there's a, if, if you're the Taliban, there's a smart play right now and it's not to be that brutal and it's to ease up a little bit. Um, and, and you might not see an, a UN peacekeeping force or NATO being interested. Um, what if they're just, what if they end up being just a little more religiously um, strict than other countries we see in the Middle East? I don't know. I'm, shot in the dark there, but um, it has been 20 plus years since they were still doing some pretty nasty stuff while we were there when they had the opportunity. But um, now that they have full control, I wonder if we're going to see something different. Yeah, I thought about that too. I, I hope you're right. There's, I mean, there's possibility that they could be logical. I just, I, I don't think that it's, that it's uh, in their nature. And and this is not like a verified source, but, but one of my former interpreters that I've been texting with, he sent me pictures on Friday when the Taliban marched through Kandahar. He sent me a picture of that his buddy took in Kandahar, and he said Taliban just took just took over Kandahar. This is awful. And the picture was just three dead bodies just on the ground. And of course, I don't know where it came from. I don't know the guy that took it, but. I would not be surprised if that's happening and we just don't know it yet that, yeah. that they're just slaughtering people. Um, and who knows I, I hope that I hope for the people of Afghanistan's sake that what you talked about Preston is, is the case where they're just a slightly extreme uh, governing body and it's not the best place to live, but they're not killing everyone. You know, that, that would be at least something that we could, be okay with, but I'm just skeptical. Yeah, and to go back to why, I mean, and to be clear, John, I mean, what you said, I, yeah, Taliban utterly atrocious, and I can't really imagine life under them. And you would see it, even, especially in the smaller outposts, you would see it when you would talk to people. I mean, just the the abject terror when they would be lying to you because they know that it, that's literally their family's lives. Um, and so what I was, at least in the initial days, when the first reports of like mass desertion were coming out, I was, I was just so con- like somewhat confused. I was just like, why? I mean, you know, I, when I was there, many people did, at least it seemed, believe in the country that was being built, were terrified of the Taliban. Why allow them to take over so quickly? Especially now when you have, I mean, we could go on and on about the training and some units trained better than others, but there's a lot of munitions and weaponry in that country that is relatively sophisticated. And then in the last day or two, I just started reading these reports of, I mean, all these units that have, you know, not been paid in six months, nine months, or that had, each of them had one mag because somewhere in the supply chain, people are hoarding ammunition and just not sending it to the front lines. And I could go on and on with examples, but I mean, the answer that starts to present is why are people just throwing down their arms and not fighting the Taliban because they don't, they don't believe in their government. Like they're not getting paid. They're not getting 
provisions, stories trickle out to the provinces, especially now with social media and internet access on people's phones of the level of corruption that's, that's happening at the central government. And they, so, you know, so you're reading these interviews with these soldiers. They're just like, yeah, why? I don't have anything to fight with. I haven't sent money home to my family in half a year. And, you know, I'm reading these reports of what's happening in Kabul. Why am I going to fight? And again, that was kind of eye-opening to me because I, I don't think I had appreciated the level of distrust, dislike that many people seem to have for the government that was formed. I remember we had a guy, the an RPG gunner that wouldn't shoot during engagements. And I remember people yelling at him like, now's the time, you know, <laughs> now's the time, shoot that thing. And, and it was always, he was always really hesitant and he wouldn't shoot. And what came out of it was they couldn't get uh, any more rounds. So when he shot one, he had four. And if he ever shot one, then he would only have three. And before long, he'd be out. <laughs> so I don't know what he was waiting for, but um, they couldn't get ammunition. They couldn't get any resupply. So they didn't use it. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but I, I don't know if there would have been a circumstance where they would have said, I guess now we have to. But um, John, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. I'm not quite sure how it's going to take me a couple tries to get to this question, but you mentioned how like, actually, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but the concept of how did we get it wrong? I don't know anybody who would have guessed that the Taliban would take over this quickly. I think a lot of people would have, you know, maybe they'll take over after some time. You were an advisor. You filled out all those reports about here's how they're doing. Here's their progress. Do you think we just, I don't know, did we mess up a lot? I mean, I know our unit, we were always, we were saying things about the unit where it was like, man, that's a stretch. I don't know if they're quite there yet, but it was also 10 years ago. Is it just compounded, do you think? Or I don't know. Yeah. That's uh I thought about that too. But but I guess what I will say is that for all their deficiencies, they were able to fight. It, they they uh we went to ranges with them, we saw them shooting their Afghan owned and run artillery weapons. Uh we experienced with them, you know, defending a base uh, from a potential overrun situation. Like they, they knew how to fight. But, but I think it, it does come back to what Connor was talking about is, is the, the country, the government failed itself by allowing rampant corruption or whatever, whatever happened to, to cause frontline soldiers to not have food or ammunition or money. And if you're, if you're not going to have those things, then it is understandable that you'll give up. Uh, but that doesn't make it, it doesn't make me less angry about it because, you know, it, we were partnering with the Afghan government and army at every level. So uh, wherever the corruption was happening, we should have found it. So I'm, I'm mad at us, I guess, but I'm, I'm more mad at just the Afghan people for allowing this to happen. Because if, if I'm in a unit, if I'm a commander in a unit and I don't have ammo for my soldiers, then I'm going to raise hell until we have ammo and food and pay. I'm not just going to let it sit for six months and not worry about it. You know, like that's a cultural problem or a systemic problem. I don't know what it is, but it is, it is awful. And, and I, I just, I refuse to let the Afghan people off the hook because they are indirectly choosing this what's coming and i'm just worried that what's coming is going to be so awful that that it's just hard it's hard to accept and it's hard to comprehend yeah and something else that, that i wanted to talk about is you know to the the why why are we there you know this makes it difficult and there's i know there's a lot of veterans questioning like what have we been doing for the past 20 years? Why did my friends die? You know, the three of us all have close friends that, that were killed over there. And, and that's, that's hard. That's hard to, 
to think about and I haven't really gone there yet in my own head. Um, but I do know that when we were there, I, I believed in what we were doing and it, you know, we, the Taliban were harboring Al Qaeda, 9-11 happened. We go into Afghanistan to root out or to find Al Qaeda, prevent the situation where the Taliban can harbor them. We find, oh, this country's in tatters. We need to reestablish a peaceful democracy and that'll be a better future for all of us. And that, that made sense. I was behind that mission. And I thought that in that effort, it was making America safer and it was worth our sacrifice to be there. And that's, that's just what makes it harder to stomach seeing, seeing this collapse. It's just no one in Afghanistan agreed that they could make their situation better, or, or they at least weren't willing to put a minimal effort into fighting for their own country. And uh, I'm hard pressed to think of like, if I were facing my platoon right now, my old platoon, if I were to try to tell them, you know, why we were in Afghanistan, I'm not sure that I could come up with the right words to say. And that's, that's really hurting me right now. I want to add something to John's comment there, because I'm like 99% sure you'd agree with this, but just want to say it. There were individuals and leaders within the Afghan army that were warriors, and like wanted to get out there and you had to almost hold them back from going out and they were good at their job. They cared about their job. They cared about something to keep going, whether it was their country, whether it was their soldiers, maybe it was pay for some of them. I don't know. Probably not because pay was such an issue, but there were people at various levels that, that I think we all worked with that were awesome. And if you could just take that person and replicate him, have, have a thousand of him in Kandahar, it'd be a totally different story. That's not, I don't think that's who you're talking about, Wags. Um, it's, it's that guy's commander in 2010. Who, it was his company commander who was relieved and his battalion commander who was relieved. And I think the brigade commander was relieved. Like all these levels up the chain because it was corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. And then you've got this poor lieutenant out there doing a really good job, but zero support. And you can have that in ones and twos, but Yeah. I, anyways, I think that's, I think you would agree, John. I, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Cause yeah, some of the guys that I work with were outstanding and, and uh, that's also why I'm so confused. Cause I thought that they were, they were part of the future and they were going to be part of the solution. And there, there was enough outstanding soldiers in that army that they could, that they would uh, find the corrupt individuals and they would handle them themselves. But that apparently did not happen. Yeah, I'm totally on board. Yeah, I, um, I've only put a little bit of thought into some of this. It's, we, it's, it's a weird mix of, yeah, kind of being a ways from it now, right? It's been 10 years on or about since any of us were there. Um, probably around that time period since we've lost a good friend in Afghanistan. I don't, can't speak for you guys, but a lot of those casualties that we knew of were in that probably 2009 to 2013, 14 window. Um, so I haven't put a lot of thought into the, the concept, but I've seen a couple posts on social media around the idea of it was a waste or disrespectful because of a soldier's life that was lost, this, that, or the other. But I, I think that's a risky place to go because for the most part, I think everybody did the best they could with what they were asked to do. Um, it was always hard to tell how your little mission sometimes played into the broader security situation in Afghanistan, let alone the world. But I don't think anybody, any individual soldier made one choice or there was one mission that had you gone on, or if you would have shot instead of not shot or whatever changes the outcome. I don't think there's a thousand of those that would have changed the outcome. Maybe even a million of those. It, it, this almost feels predetermined in a sense. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't yeah, know so how that sits, but it almost feels like it wasn't a, yeah. Go ahead, John. Sorry. Something my wife mentioned, and I think it's a good point is, uh, um, 
the time that we spent there and the sacrifices we made are not, they might seem wasted because the country is now back in the hands of the Taliban, but they're not wasted. And we won't know yet for a while because it's what we did was we showed a generation of Afghans what, what it could be, what, what democracy could be, or, or what a strong government and peaceful society could mean for you. Um, and women's rights and education, all those, all those good things, good things that are probably going to be taken away in the next week. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the good people of Afghanistan that now know that can find it in themselves to change it, the country from the inside, as opposed to just fleeing and letting the next generation grow up in this, this awful place. That's a really good point, man. I hadn't thought of that. Thanks, Paul. Well, I, think it's a, <clears throat> I think it's a great point, uh, John. That that was Anusha and I had a similar conversation, and and Stuart, I think it was you. You touched on this earlier as well. I mean, there are people, there are young college students. I think you said that have never known rule under the Taliban. I mean, it was it was t- roughly twenty years of comparable comparable peace, especially in many of the areas. Um, and that's a different world than what the Taliban came in on last time. I mean, if you consider uh, uh, roughly a decade of Russian occupation followed by absolute chaos, followed by the Taliban being formed and eventually controlling the country versus 15, 20 years of some levels of freedom, some levels of security, and now the Taliban are back. And I've just got to hope that if the Taliban try to act in the same way that they did in the late 90s, maybe, just maybe, eventually, you know, enough people are going to have had enough and find a way to do something about it internally. Um, and maybe that's being wildly optimistic. And I don't know. But... I do think it's different than the last time they were in charge. I don't mean, I don't think this will be political. Don't mean it to be political. Um, I do think we had to leave the country. I don't know that being, you know, let's call it 5,000 troops or whatever in a relative combat zone indefinitely is a good move. That just doesn't feel right. Um, but it doesn't seem, I'll say this a couple of ways. It doesn't seem like the evacuation as it now is went well. Um, but I don't know how it could have been a lot better. It's not the easiest thing in the world to leave essentially a war zone as it's collapsing. So I've, I've seen a lot of criticism of it was done poorly. And I, I guess based off what's happening, Yes, but I also don't know what the better move is there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Was it at some point where we definitely going to leave entirely or where do you sit there? That's been the intent that I've understood. I mean, we have a presence in Germany and South Korea, which is always kind of mentioned when these discussions come up. But um, so, yeah, we could leave a presence there indefinitely. Uh, But I think we expected rightfully so that that there would at least be a few months of Kabul not falling for for the evacuation to kind of get finalized and to get you know the translators out and um you know the embassy would still be functioning because the government would still be somewhat functioning and we could help uh in a more limited capacity but uh when that when that didn't happen when the whole country collapsed in a matter of days then it does it does make the whole the decision to leave appear rushed and in poor taste but i don't think that that would be a fair expectation uh to uh to to change to change whether or not we stay in a country you know we shouldn't assume that a country will just automatically fail the second we leave That, that that you know, we, we have to have some faith that what we've been doing for 20 years is going to hold. 
I, I always have like w- really weird analogies. And for the most part, I do a good job of not bringing them up because they don't land with a lot of people. But I have, <laughs> I have in my mind this picture of like a really, really poorly built house and somebody slams the door and the house falls down. You go, you shouldn't slam the door. You go, what? <laughs> the house is, <laughs> that shouldn't have caused the house to fall down, right? So I, I kind of had this same thought here where, yeah, maybe this wasn't done as well as it could have been, but what? what you know and i saw some discussion on you know the the terms were already set and the dates were already set and that had some impact or it limited the ability of biden to make any other decisions so i think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of discussion that could be had there and you know generally speaking I, i think you're right we had to leave the country whether it was a year ago, right now, whether we waited till the summer was over, um, it, I don't think they would have changed the outcome. I mean, this this seems like like it was inevitable, um, and it doesn't make it any easier to stomach, though. No, but I think you're both exactly right. I, it was 20 years. What is one, five, ten more years? I mean all that would have been is more lives and more money and more time apparently for the Afghan government to hide how utterly inept it was and how tenuous its hold on power was. And unless something drastically changed and I don't know what that would have been or what that would have looked like, I don't think this would have looked any different no matter when we left. So being kind of a history nerd, I, like to say that if you gave somebody unlimited resources and unlimited money in the middle of World War II and said, end this sooner, they could. Same thing in World War I. Unlimited resources, unlimited power. If you gave me unlimited power, resources, capabilities in Afghanistan in 2001, I don't know what I would have done differently to make it a functional government at this point. We spend a lot of money. I like. I don't know if you triple that if it does anything different, right? Yeah, and that's it. it kind of hurts a little bit to, uh, you know, when I hear critics saying the mili- U.S. military failed. We have to just take that at what it is. We were there for this long, and we left, and the army collapsed. This is a failure on the military's part, and and honestly, like that comes down to us. Like, we were the ones interacting with the Afghans and uh you know I don't fully accept that criticism because I don't know what else we could have done you know we 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 gave them all that they needed we served alongside them we showed them we, we taught them counterinsurgency we allowed them to lead and you know it's just it's hurtful that that the blame is some blame is on us and it's okay. You know, I'll accept blame. It's just, I don't know what else we could have done to, to teach them how to, how to defend themselves unless they just don't want to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think of the, we had infantrymen, 11 bravos that went through basic training and learned how to ruck march shoot in close quarters combat could take apart a 249 saw back and forth with the lights out and, and could operate under night vision goggles and go on air assaults and they get to afghanistan we put them in charge of 270 local farmers to cut down trees in a wood line and line it with a tarp to increase irrigation of their crops and it's like <laughs> they he figured it out and he did it but that guy's entire training was designed to fight a war and to kill people. And now he's piecing together an agricultural irrigation issue in Southern Afghanistan. Um, probably not as good as an expert could have done, but the guy thought he was going to be shooting machine guns for a career, you know? Um, 
I guess that kind of gets into the category of maybe this, maybe this was less of a military operation than we thought. Maybe it should have been 10% military, 90% something else. Right. And, and um, kind of along those lines, something that I've been thinking about is, you know, warning signs or uh, things that maybe we overlooked while we were there. And one of those things that came up is um, air conditioning. So it's super hot over there. One of the things that we did, you know, talking about unlimited resources is we would have installed air conditioning units in all like the living quarters for the Afghan army so that they're comfortable. And, you know, those are powered by generators that had to be filled with diesel fuel. It's easy to do those things to, you know, we, we would probably, we would even maintain their air conditioning units for them if they were to, to break or at least show them how to do it. Within weeks of turning over like an air conditioning, an air conditioned tent to the Afghans, they would have no air conditioning and no power because they they wouldn't fill up their generator and they would like puncture the the freon pipes and huff all the freon out of there, and no one did anything about it and they were all basically okay with this. And you think about that and you're like, how do you trust? How do you trust people like that with, with giving them basically the, the keys to a brand new military? You know, I guess you could, maybe we should have raised more of a flag and said, these guys are just inept at a systemic level, even though they have some warriors, like you mentioned before. You know, did, did you guys see stuff like that too? I mean, so I would take it even a bit broader. I, I mean, even just at local government levels or even just much of the general population. I mean, I, yes, I met some people that I think believed in a unified Afghanistan. I think I met far more people that were just like, I'm here to protect me and my family. Eventually the U.S. is going to be gone and it's going to be someone else. And after that, it's going to be someone else. And I live in this chaotic world where I'm just kind of out to get mine. And here, here's, a, here's a perfect example. It's kind of along the lines of what you're saying, John. Apparently at some point back in 07, 08, 09, I don't know which forces, whether it was, so, you know, it was some sort of uh, forces, whether Australian, UN, someone brought in and probably spent a lot of money on this and dug like a hundred wells and brought in crazy, you know, like full on uh, mining almost equipment to drill these huge wells down to the aquifer. And they spread them all around the villages of the province we were operating in Zabul. And, but I couldn't, it, I kept getting these complaints from all the villagers like, hey, we don't have water. We can't water our crops. We have no clean drinking water, et cetera. And I just started wondering, like, how, well, how can this, how can this be? So we finally got our hands on a list and it was, it was, you know, I don't know, however many of these wells, we had like 10 digit grid coordinates to each of these wells. And I was like, ah, we're going to go find these wells. We're going to get the people their water heroes. And we start driving around looking for these wells and I can't find any fucking wells. And I, and I'm just, and I'm like standing there looking at the map, holding up my GPS and I'm like supposed to be next to a well, but I'm next to a house. And over the course of like a week of these patrols and us trying to get to the bottom of this, we figured out that what had happened was they drilled these wells. And as soon as forces left, whoever the most influential family in that village was literally just built their new house around the well. And so there would be a compound wall, the wells in the middle of their compound, and here's their new house. And then they would just either hoard the water for themselves or sell access to it to the less fortunate families in the village. And like, that was it. And no joke, we never found a single well that was just out there for general public consumption. And those that we did were broken. Like people had removed the handles and, you know, jacked up the spigots or just like run that looked like they'd been run over. I mean, we did not find one working well. And that was the point where I was just 
and I, I get it. It's just like a, it's a story about water, but to me, it was just very. Uh, it's telling about terrible. how important the systems are and what we take for granted. Right. And we can rely on our, our local government to enforce, you know, utilities and yeah, simple things like that. And that, that kind of makes you feel for the Afghan people in a way, you know, I, I might be being a little harsh on them, but you know, if you can't get water that you're supposed to have for your crops, then you are going to just stop believing in the reason to have a, a functioning government, or you're not going to believe that there is a real government because you, because you don't have what you need to survive. Yeah. So I imagine, that, but yeah, you're right. I was going to say, it makes you understand that, you know, if the Taliban come around and they at least function, then you, you might just say, ah, I don't care who's in, who you guys think is in charge, as long as I have water for my crops. It's a level of missing government that's hard to understand here, I think. But that's a, that's a good point with the water, Connor. I mean, think of some of the rural areas here when they run electric. We've got... Um, the electric wires coming by our house come down onto our property and then run down the street to the other houses. So this is kind of like the connector to the main line. Like, what if I just shut that off one day to the entire neighborhood? So now you have to pay me for your electric power. I've got guns. You know, that happens in Afghanistan all the time, all the time. And it wasn't just the Taliban. The people that you were talking about, Connor, you know, Maybe they were Taliban. They probably weren't. They were just people. They have lived in a country where it is, it is life or death, um, daily life or death struggles for their entire lives. I mean, they die young. The, the infant mortality rate is insanely high in Afghanistan. Um, there's pictures of people, like when you see the pictures of like the really bearded, white bearded old Afghan male, a lot of them are in their 40s, 40s or 50s. You know, like it's insane how rugged life is there. So when somebody gets this little chance, I got a point here, I'm bringing this full circle, but when somebody has this little opportunity, it's kind of asking a lot of people who have had this life or death struggle. You put a little bit of power right in front of them. It's survival in a sense. Um, we, we, so we had here, here, here we go. Like I'm bringing it back. The issue we had, John, was with supplies on patrol. So the medic, they wouldn't have tourniquets. They wouldn't have water. They wouldn't have food. They wouldn't have ammo. And um, we, can't, we, we can't go on a patrol unless they go with us. And they're not going to go if they don't have water. And if they go without water and they're a heat casualty, then it puts the whole patrol at risk. So we would just give them things. Problem solved. Right. But when you start to work up the chain to figure out, why aren't they getting water? And you start working through this incredibly complex web of, well, the supply officer has water. You go to the supply officer. He says, well, actually, it's not me. Because that water comes from the ground, it belongs to the Ministry of the Interior. They have an office in Kabul. And if you call that guy, he has a warehouse connected to Jalal Lake. And you're just like, what on earth is happening? And you're only there for a year. And maybe you solve this problem by like month nine. But there's a reason those things happen. And a lot of it has to do with somebody making a little bit extra money. We're getting some of that extra water on the side. We may be saving ammo and whatever it is. It's not just a messy system that you have to un unwind. A lot of those blocks are put in place because people are benefiting from it. And then you're gone in a year. And the next guy has to start over trying to figure out why you have to request water bottles from, you know, Kandahar, it, it, something crazy like that. It's just different culture incredibly different culture yeah well any last notes here guys um i feel like even though we're coming up on talking for an hour i still feel like i don't really have a solid opinion on what's happening like i still need a little more time to kind of be able to really form a coherent thought but I don't know. What do you guys got? We can go ahead and start wrapping it up here. I'm just, my wife would tell you that I'm not always the most in touch with my feelings. Some, somewhere around today or this morning or something, I think it dawned on me 
how just, just angry I am. Like just how angry at a lot of a lot of different systems and a lot of different groups of people. And um, I just kind of realized I think since like last Thursday or something, I've just been like consistently smoldering and angry. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way, Connor. Um, I, I guess one thing that I I can leave on is, you know, I was, I've been thinking about like what I would tell my platoon if I were in front of them right now, um, which we've all lost touch. So it's not like I can just get on a Zoom call with them, but pretend I could. Um, it, I think it, it wasn't all wasted. You know, we, we were there for the right reasons. And just because the outcome might not be what we had intended doesn't mean that we weren't we weren't uh, doing our best and we weren't making an improvement in the world, you know. And I guess something that I can cling to for now, um, and you know, hopefully, time will time will tell kind of the impact that we had. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a good perspective, John, and, and it's probably smarter for us to think about the individual impacts than the national geopolitical impacts, right? There's, there's nothing else that happened. You didn't blame yourself when one person won a, a U.S. election or not, right? It wasn't your fault that one guy won or lost. Um, but, but it's easy to do that here. But I think it's probably better to hang your hat on the things like last time we talked about the interpreters that you guys got to know and have helped out and, and brought over here, the soldiers that you mentored, um, even the, the Afghan soldiers that you worked with downrange, who knows, maybe they were better for it in, in some ways. Um, I, I don't think I would wish war for any of those reasons or the fact that I feel like I'm a different person, um, in a lot of positive ways because of experiences there. But, um, yeah, I think on the individual level, there's still some, some good to be taken out. So I think that's good perspective, John, but Let's go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. Appreciate you guys jumping on and we'll see what Afghanistan looks like on uh, August 17th. But thanks for doing this, guys. Yeah, guys. Thank you. Take care. Later. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.